Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The man, the myth, the modern classic. Only here for a visit. The riotous must-have new book by Alan Brazil. Featuring legendary tales from a life lived large and loud on pitch and off-piste. It's the year's most explosive rock and gold memoir. Only here for a visit. The brand new autobiography by Alan Brazil. Just what you need for a lockdown read. Now available in audio form from audible.com. This is TalkSport Daily. Hello, happy Wednesday, and welcome to another Andy Goldstein's TalkSport Daily podcast with me, your host with the most hair, Andy Goldstein. And a big old pod we have, and it begins with two big names discussing Manchester United. Andros Townsend was chatting about his old Spurs manager, Richo Pochettino, and why he'd be perfect for United. What Mason Greenwood must do to get back on track at Old Trafford. But first is Jamie Carragher on Drive discussing Paul Pogba. For me, when I look at it now, would I pick Paul Pogba in the Manchester United team? I wouldn't. No, I think I think he's a huge name. He's come from a huge transfer fee. But I, I don't think he's a he's a great player. People say he's won the World Cup, and I get that. I, you know, I understand that. That's an argument to throw back at me. But I think he's been in our league. When he came in, I wanted him to have... Well, I wouldn't say I wanted to, wanted him, but I thought he may have the impact of what Lampard with Chelsea, what Stevie had with Liverpool, what Yaya Torre had with Man City. Those players drove their teams to titles, European cups. And when you come from Man United as the world transfer fee... He approaches the ball, hits it right-footed towards the near oh. corner. What a terrific free kick that is from Paul Pogba. Pick that one out. When you're that man who's seen as the one to take United to the next level, which United going to the next level now is getting back to winning titles in European Cups. And people may say, oh, that's too much pressure to put on one man. But that's what we were almost told was coming. This package, most expensive player in the world, he can do everything in midfield, he's done it for Juventus, he's playing the Champions League final for them. And it just hasn't happened for him at Manchester United. And, and for me, I, I think I'd be looking to, to move him on. He loves improving players, especially mm. young players. He loves finding little gems in the academy and the reserve and making them into household names. Um, you've seen that with the likes of Harry Kane, Deli Alley, and players he brought through at Spurs. And he's an incredible manager. And I think he'd, any any big club in the world would be lucky to have him. 
United job would be perfect for him in the in the the sense of the youngsters they do have coming through the youngsters they continually bring through the academy he'd be perfect to to nurture and make him into world class players like he has done before at Spurs but I think Oli's done a good job he steadied the ship um, when he came in he is obviously a disciple of Sir Alex Ferguson he is building for the future as well so it's it's a tough one yes Oli's doing well but do you want to miss out on a on a world class manager like Pochettino it's Greenwood getting it back right hand side of the area tries to drive oh, and wow. another sensational goal from Mason Greenwood this time on his right foot. I can empathise with Mason Greenwood having been someone who's been through that kind of build you up to knock you down uh, media scrutiny. Um, it's tough. He probably needs players around him, the likes of Harry Maguire, who are experienced players and who have been through it to kind of put their arm around him and, and get him through it. He probably needs his manager to stay by his side, which I know Oli probably will. He needs good family, good friends around him. And the, the, the other thing, he needs to see a, a sports psychologist, somebody who's kind of spoke to other players in his position who knows what's going on from the outside and can kind of help him through it. But yeah, I've no doubt Mason Greenwood's a very young player. Um, he seems to have his head screwed on. Yes, he's made mistakes, but yes, he, he's young and he's learning. And I'm sure once he get over... Uh, he gets over this little blip that he's on, he'll come over the other side, a better player for it. Now, yesterday, Greg Clark resigned as chairman of the Football Association. Hugh Wozencroft and Danny Mills reacted to the news last night, along with the Times' Matt Lawton. But first, this is the England defender Tyrone Mings, who said Clark's comments prove there's a long way to go in education around diversity. So I don't think there's any excusing it and I wouldn't sit here and try and um, defend something because the fact that he came out and apologised I think he knows he's done wrong I think he knows that he was that he fell short of what he should know and I think that's what we're asking for really it's asking that you 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 understand the world that we're living in and you understand what you can and can't say really so I don't think it's necessarily an excuse and I don't think he would necessarily sit here and, and excuse it himself I, I think it's unfortunate that it's happened today, isn't it? It's unfortunate that that was the case because we are living in a society and we're doing such such great work at the moment. We're trying to drive things forward. We're trying to highlight these sort of topics. And I don't think it set us back. I don't think that one bit. Um, but what I think is it's probably shone a light on what we're saying. We still have a long way to go. Let's drive on TalkSport. Breaking news here from Ben Fletcher. Absolutely. To confirm the story we brought you earlier, Adrian, the FA chairman, Greg Clark, has stood down after a string of controversial comments when speaking with MPs earlier. He used the phrase coloured footballers. He made references to Asians working in IT. And he appeared to suggest that being gay is a life choice. It was a car crash of, a, of an appearance. And, you know, it just... He's one of these guys, unfortunately, because I think he, I think some of the things that the FA have done uh, while he's been chair have been very progressive. But but he is a liability, and he's proved to be that before when he lost patience with the uh, with the parliamentary committee when he appeared in person. But this was just extraordinary. He was so he has shown himself to be so out of touch when the game is. So diverse, and that's one of the great things about the game. Words are not just a collection of letters. It's about the context that the word comes from, the meaning of it. And the context of this word is that it holds deep offence, and so using it is not appropriate. And a new term was evolved out of it, person of colour. Many people use, and others still find that term offensive. We are evolving. We are moving in a certain direction, and we will all learn, as Greg Clark has learned today, 
that as time moves on, some things you just don't say anymore. And I know I've said it already, but I think today really highlights that we have to keep nudging at it. We have to keep on top of it. We have to keep educating not only one another, but also ourselves, um, taking the time to understand the society that we live in today um, and what is acceptable and what isn't. Back now to Cara and Andros Townsend on the potential reintroduction of the five subs rule in the Premier League. And unsurprisingly, Andros isn't in favour of it. I watched that game the other day and obviously Pep and Klopp were speaking at the end of the game and then it's interesting, you look, Pep made one sub, Klopp made two subs, one was in four. So you desperately want five subs to protect the players, but when it comes to it, you don't even use the three that you're given. So not for me, I think it kind of, it unevens the playing field. It's an advantage to the to the sides with the bigger squads. They're saying they don't want it when they're playing each other, but when they're playing the smaller clubs and maybe it's harder to break them down, they want to be able to bring on five world-class international forward players to, to help break down the mid-table side. So not for me. Uh, I think it's fine the way it was. Three subs has worked for, for many, many years and I don't see a reason to change it. We always think of the, the, the bigger team, if you like, uh, bringing on attacking players to win the game if it's a bit tight against maybe a team near the bottom. But how often do we talk about the bigger teams tiring smaller teams out by keeping the ball and you get that late goal, you think of United getting late goals, Liverpool getting late goals now. Let's not forget, these smaller teams can bring defenders on to hold to, to hold on to that, you know, whether it's a lead or with a level with teams really, and that freshness. And also think about players who are... If you're a team down there and you're not going to have much of the ball and you're playing City or Liverpool or United and you're thinking, let's go be really aggressive with them and you've got three or four players on a yellow card, right, we'll take them off, we'll put another four on and they're going to be really aggressive as well and they'll all take a yellow card as well. Now after Jude Bellingham was called up to the senior England squad, his former coach at Birmingham City, Mike Dodds, joined TalkSport 2 to discuss how he expects the 17-year-old to handle the occasion. But first, here's Bellingham's new Three Lions teammate, Ben Chilwell. very cool um saw him today met him for the first time today and he's just a really really good guy um very excited for him and like you said 17 years old yeah, it's a massive massive achievement for someone to play for England let alone at 17 so yeah I've seen him play for Birmingham and obviously he's been doing very well at Dortmund so um thoroughly deserved and very very happy for him he will be going in with England and I can guarantee you will not be phased in the slightest um he, he, he'll be humbled by it don't get me wrong but he will not be phased in the slightest and knowing the way I know him, he will be, and I mean this in the most respectful way, he'll be disappointed if he doesn't get any minutes. Yeah, That's the type of mentality he is. He won't be going in there. There is no way Jude Bellingham will be going in the England squad to make numbers up. That was his mentality when he got into the first team. That was his mentality when he chose Borussia Dortmund. It'll be his mentality when he got called up to the 21s, and it'll be exactly the same with the first team. He will not be going in, into the England squad just to make numbers up. Now, in yesterday's edition of the podcast, you may recall, the fun boy, my old mucker, Jason Cundy, said this about Pierre Umbrico Bamiyang. He looks like a player that doesn't want to be there. I don't quite know what Arsenal are. They're having a bit of an identity crisis. Well, this was the response of the Arsenal legend, Lee Dixon. As a senior pro, you'd have to kind of keep him bubbling in training just to go, well, you're going through a bit of a rough patch. And as a player, you know he's the guy who wins his games. You've got to keep him bubbling away. You've got to give him everything he needs in order to perform. And that means chances on the pitch, getting the balls into the channels when he makes the runs. And at the moment, there's so much pressure on him because 
nobody else really in the team scores goals. So that's a big, you know, that's a big weight to carry. Arsenal right hand side, Al Nani sliding in inside the penalty area. What a moment this is for Al Bamiyang to walk in into the net for 2 1. And it's the two Arsenal substitutes that combine. You're not getting the service if you're not getting the opportunities to score. And the weight of the goals is all on your shoulders. Some players relish it. You know, Wrighty was one of those who, you know, if he didn't score for like five minutes, he used to salt. So you'd be like, right, well, and that responsibility of carrying a team, he, he enjoyed that. But ultimately, you've got to have goals from elsewhere. You know, people used to have to chip in from other places. Back now to Jamie Carragher and Adrian Durham on Drive and whether or not Bobby Firmino should be dropped. If you've got a massive game tomorrow, say a Champions League final tomorrow or a game to win the title tomorrow, and you're playing the front three, what's the front three? Mane, Jota, Salah. Not Firmino? No. Why not? Uh, I don't think he's, in, he's not in great form right now. That could change if Liverpool get to a final. But I don't think Firmino was in great form last season. Even though Liverpool won the league, and when you win the league and you win week after week, certain things get masked, if you like. And I think Firmino didn't score a goal at home in the Premier League until the last Premier League game of the season against Chelsea. Now, Liverpool fans are educated enough to know that Firmino's big role in this team is not to be scoring the goals. Liverpool's goal scorers play wide in some way so that makes them slightly different and they know he can create and he wins the ball back he starts that press but even the actual pressing stats when we look, I looked at them before the game at the weekend they weren't at the numbers they normally are and he, it doesn't mean if he goes out and you to start and that's the end of Firmino I just think he's not playing well you have ups and downs in your career just sit on the bench lovely ball into Jota inside the penalty shrugging off the defender shipping it past the goalkeeper and scoring once again and Diogo Jota cannot stop putting the ball in the net three or four games there might be an injury someone else might drop off form you come back in and maybe there's not as much pressure on you because everyone's looking at Firmino going is he going to bring him off is he going to score today? Is this the game where Firmino's form change? Just, just, just leave him out for me for the next three or four games. Maybe bring him on because when you're not playing well, when you get brought on as a sub, it's hard to have a bad game coming on as a sub. <laughs> in some ways, because you you come on, you're fresh. If the team lose, it's obviously the team that's been picked's fault. You can come on and change the game, and sometimes you build your confidence in that way. But the big problem Liverpool have, and a reason why I would play Jota is Liverpool don't have many goal scorers in the team. Virgil van Dijk was a goal scorer for Liverpool from set pieces the midfield three don't really score there's no Gerard Lampard figure in there who could get forward and score the centre forward's not scoring so you've only really got Mane and Salah who score if you put Jota in that team I think you're adding another goal scorer so there's almost three players who can score and it almost takes the well it does take the pressure off Mane and Salah now, you may remember, in fact, I'm sure everyone remembers, this Patrick Bamford goal that was disallowed against Crystal Palace at the weekend. It's his hand that's offside. That can't be offside. Have I missed something? Was there a rule change a couple of weeks ago or something? I'm gobsmacked by that. Not for the first time, obviously, but this has got to be one of the worst ones I've seen. Well, would you believe it? This is Palace's Andros Townsend agreeing with that decision. This I have to hear. I'm not VAR's biggest fan, but if you do want to use VAR, you have to use it as a matter of fact, either you're offside or you're not. If the T-shirt line is the um, is the, the, the limit, then unfortunately you have to abide by that. And yes, I sympathise with Banford. Yes, it was unfortunate. As offside, offside it no must chance. be so marginal there. You're looking at the monitor now. It's such a marginal call. It was a brilliant ball by Klitsch, but it was Banford who must have been 
an inch offside. Be given offside for pointing where you want the ball for a part that you can't score with, part of your body. It makes no sense. It does, it's just ridiculous. It's offside at the end of the day. I'm not just saying that because it was against Crystal Palace, but mm. it, you can't you can't go saying, "Oh, let's give them a yard, let's give them a couple of yards, let's give them <clears> the benefit <throat> of the attack." It has to be offside or not. Mm. And if you're going to use VAR, you have to give Bamford offside for that goal. And we finish with the best bits of my show, Andy Goldstein Sports Bar, Monday to Thursday from 10 p.m. It says here, after taking your calls on all the action in the Scottish League Cup, I can assure you we did none of that. This is what we did. We've got the former European Super Bantamweight champion, Spencer Oliver, with us in the studio. We've got your top ten. Of the universe, top ten. You missed that. Come on. The galaxy, the Milky Way. (laughs) When was the last time you had a proper fight? You got in the ring? That That was in 98. Okay, that was your last fight and then you retired? Yeah, and then I retired because I got a blood clot and brain. Yes, of course, yeah, I remember yeah. that. I've spoken to you before about that. Yeah. And you've never had a fight since then? You've well, never... no, because I was like... So I... Are you not allowed? No, I had like half my head removed. I had 98 stables in my head. It's, uh... <laughs> was it how many? <laughs> so, I'm just showing you here. Yeah. I cut right round, took that part the... of my head off. They took the part of your head off? Sealed the blood, uh, stopped the bleed on the brain, put it back Is and it... stapled it all back together. I had to learn to walk again, talk again. I'm being serious. Like it was like amazing. I was in a coma for two weeks. I'm always yeah. curious about people that come round after being in a coma for a long time. Mm. Does it just feel like you've woken up from a sleep? Well, I still. This is the mad thing. So my my last fight was at the Royal Albert Hall, May the second, 1998. I remember travelling to the Royal Albert Hall. Don't remember anything else. And then I woke up at the National Neurological Hospital in Queen Square. Two weeks later, still thinking I was at the fight. And I thought, I was looking around and I thought, I must have got knocked out. And then there was doctors there and they were all like, you know, they're pressing things to see if everything was working, like my palms and my balls and my feet. I was going to say something else. And, then, and, they're, <laughs> <laughs> and they're saying to me, do you know who this is? And I'm, I'm nodding, that's my mum and that's my dad. And I'm thinking, wow, this is going to take me a couple of months to come up back out of this. About three or four days later, they asked me to start walking again. So I got out of my bed and I was like, whoa, what's going on? I still didn't know I had 98 staples in my head. So, yeah, and I started walking again. And then it was the first time I walked actually to the toilet. And I looked in the mirror as a mirror in the thing. And so my hair's like it is now. And it was shaved. They only shaved half my head off where they operated. And so it was shaved down the middle. And it was so grossly swollen. It it looked like a tennis ball. Like, if I'm honest, like the the line of a tennis ball. And that's when I first sort of broke down and thought, wow, man, it's over. Have you watched that fight back? <laughs> I watched it back once. So the, the boss on Sky at the time was a guy called Chris Brown. So I started working for Sky because this is how I got into the media career. I wrote to the head of Sky and said, listen, I still love the sport. I'm still, you know, and, and you was heavily backing me. I got a little bit of charisma and I got a little bit about saying about me. It'd be really good for you if you use me as an advertisement board saying, look, I've come back. And that was, it was, yeah, it was probably about four or five months, six months after I'd had the operation. He said to me, Chris Brown rang me up and said, look, Spence, um, you know, I want you to commentate on this fight coming up Saturday night. Yeah, lovely, Chris, who is it? Um, Sergei Devikov. He's fighting, I was like, what, the Sergei Devikov? The one that I boxed? He's like, yeah, but are you all right with that? Yeah, I'm all right with that. Let's do it. So oh, I obviously had to so watch... your first fight back yeah, was, was the fella that put you in a hospital. And I had to watch it because I had no recollection of him. I don't know. I've never seen this guy, even though I'd boxed him. So I sat down and I watched the fight. And I always remember I sat on the floor in front of like, um, in front of the telly. So I sat on the floor to sit in the whole family behind me. I think I cried from the moment it started to the moment it finished and I just sat there and I cried and, and I think the reason I was crying was because I knew I was watching the end but I, I didn't remember the end I was just turned 23 and I had the world at my feet and to wake up and it's all been taken from you and then you got to rebuild your life again was like it was it was such a difficult time I think for two or three years after that 
that's it for another podcasting thing. I'll be back at uh, the same time tonight, 10pm, for another Andy Goldstein Sports Bar alongside the fun boy Jason Cundy. Of course, there'll be another one of these Andy Goldstein TalkSport Daily podcasts out first thing in the morning, so do what you have to do to get it. And obviously, we'll be building up to England against the Republic of Ireland. So until then, have a great day. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. And be safe, everyone. Be safe. That was a podcast from TalkSport. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.